Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 210 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 27th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Coming up a little bit later, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez breaks down the latest with USC recruiting. And first up, we have Coach Harvey Hyde. We're going to talk about this USC football team heading into spring football just over a week away from USC spring practice. So that should be fun. We'll also talk about the NFL Combine a little bit. And we're going to answer your questions. We love to hear from you. If you have questions or comments, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us at 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail there. We'll play it for you on the air. You can also leave a voicemail or a voice message right on peristylepodcast.com. Check it out. Click on the left side of the page. Leave us a voice message, and we will play it and answer your question to the best of our ability. Speaking of great ability. We have Coach Harvey Hyde joining us, always in the first segment. We love to hear from him. Coach, what's up, sir? How are you? Everything's great. We got a little rain here on a Monday, which makes it uh, football season in the spring. It always, when you're going to have spring practice, starts to rain. And, uh, well, you know, you got to play in all types of different weather, and uh, this is what's going to happen. It'll be beautiful next week, though. I can't believe, Ryan, spring practice is a week away. I mean, it just seems like the football season ended recruiting just ended and now spring practice starts it's it's absolutely amazing this is going to be a very important spring for usc and you know before we get started and i know you have some questions and you want to thank our sponsor and so on but i want to thank all of the gentlemen and ladies who were down in the san diego area actually in vista last thursday i went down and i had an opportunity to speak to them about usc football and BCS and different things that were that are going on in the football world and I just want to thank them for the opportunity of coming down I enjoyed I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to stick around after the event because I had to get out of there to go back to do a radio show I have a two-hour radio show that I have to do on Thursday nights and I was afraid I was going to hit the traffic so I want to apologize to Mike Giddings who was speaking I had to leave early Mike so I'm sorry it wasn't because I don't love what you have to say. I respect you so much. I wanted to hear it all, but I had to get out of there. So thank you for inviting me down there, Ron, and everybody, Dick and Dan and Daniel who took me down there, Dale who took me down. It was great. So I just wanted to thank everybody, Brian, before we get started. Sure, and uh, that sounds great. I mean, were there any uh, podcast listeners in the group? Uh, yes, there were. That's why I'm <laughs> thanking them. Okay. I want to make sure. <laughs> because that's why I'm thanking them, because I know they were listening. They listen all the time, and they're so uh, uh, involved in uh, what you're doing and all the SC uh, updates that you have here on your website, that it's absolutely fantastic. And as you know, you and I were talking even here before we started our uh, part, uh, podcast here. The portion we do is about uh, how I listen to different things and find different things, because I get updated on all the information that you have, too. And now you'll be going to spring practice but ryan 
It'll be in the afternoon, thank goodness. You don't have to go in the morning. Yeah, none of those early morning spring practices like we had before. So that should be uh, that should be interesting. But look, before we get going, Coach, I wanted to thank our sponsor, like you mentioned, Southern California Tickets. Go to sctickets.com. Check them out or you can call 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for concerts, sporting events, go into the theater, take your lady to the theater, some, see a play, something like that, something cultured. You can get all that at sctickets.com. Wanted to thank them. And uh, thank you, Coach. 210 episodes. Thank you for, for being here for just about every one of them. Let, let me ask you, just so we don't uh, annoy our listeners, on my end, I hear a little bit of a buzz. Do you hear that? I think we're okay. Yeah, hopefully you're. I can hear it okay on this end. Hopefully you're all right. No, I can. I can. I can fight through it. I just want to make sure it's coming through clear on your end as far as for the uh, broadcast. Yeah, we got you. We got you. Okay. All right. That's That's great. Um, Well, I guess we can jump right into these questions, Coach. Uh, We got some interesting stuff um, from here from some of the guys. Let's go to Melvin. Wants to know. Um, he said, you guys like the fact that the new assistant coaches were college experienced versus pro experienced. Why is that? And I don't know if you felt the same way, coach, but I did. I mean, there was a lot of the buzz out there that Lane Kiffin was going to go after more NFL minded coaches. Uh, but I do like the fact that he brought in a bunch of guys that have, you know, most of their experience or all of their experience at the, at the college level. Maybe you share your thoughts on that. Well, I think they have uh, the pro experience there on their staff. They have Lane Kiffin, who was a head coach in the NFL. They've got Monty Kiffin, who was in the NFL. They've got Ed Orgeron, who was in the NFL. They've got coaches who have coached in the NFL, so it's not that they're lacking uh, the ability to tell recruits that uh, they have experience in the NFL and can help uh, players achieve their goals to get to the NFL. But uh, coaching in the NFL is a little bit different than coaching in college, but you have a whole different relationship. You have uh, year-round programs, you have academics, you have recruiting, you have booster club meetings. You have a lot of different activities that are required of you than you do in the NFL. The NFL is uh, basically a business. You do have a lot of meetings. Yes, you do have a lot of responsibilities, but they're handled differently. They're within the the coaching area Specifically, they don't wander outside of it like you do as an assistant coach as far as the recruiting area, contacts and recruiting and so on. You draft your players in the NFL. You recruit your players in college football. So you've got to have coaches who have great relationships, first of all, with coaches in the areas that they recruit. And you've got to have coaches that really relate to today's young kids coming out of high school or junior college. So it's very important that you do have this type of mixture on your staff so that uh, coaches that you associate yourself with in their areas know you, they see your coaching clinics, they've seen you in positions where maybe they haven't had a player, but yet you were there to uh, let them know you care about them, even if you're not recruiting their school this year because they don't have a player. So it has a lot to do with relationships in college football and being able to communicate with the young players that you work with and talk about their music and, you know, meet their girlfriends and do all the different things that you don't have to do on the NFL level. And if you've been on the NFL level for a long time, you don't really, too, understand all of the contact rules and NCAA rules and bylaws and so on. And you have to, again, learn all of those so that you can pass a test before you can get out on the road. So I think it's important to to have a combination of 
of young coaches that have college experience and high school experience, too. And then he had a follow-up to that, Coach. What do you think is most important, being able to recruit, being able to develop players, or, or both? Ryan, I think they're both equally important. First of all, if you can't recruit them, you're not going to have any great players to recruit. So you've got to go out and you've got to have the recruiting ability to bring in great players. Otherwise, you're not achieving what half of your job is or one-third of your job is, which is being able to get great players to be able to recruit and bring them into the university. The second part of that is, as far as being a great coach, is to be able to communicate with those players and bring them up to their ability that you believe they should be able to play at. And you've got to be able to find out how to push their button. Some players you yell at, some players you uh, you hug, some players you ignore, whatever it takes to get that player to get his ability on the field up to the level that you predicted him to be. Otherwise, you've got wasted uh, recruiting uh, efforts. And also, you've got to be able to find a way to do that. And as a head football coach, you evaluate a coach, a tremendous assistant coach, on not just recruiting, but on recruiting, on coaching, and also on relationships with players as far as being able to also push the academic side of the university with your players at your position. They've got to know you care about their academic work. Otherwise, they think it's just solely football. So you've got to keep up to date on their academic work. You've got to be able to talk to them about their academic work. You've got to be able to ask them what classes they're in, how you're doing in those classes, as much as you ask them about football questions. So you've got to be able to do all three of those to be a great assistant football coach. You can't just be one or two to three. You've got to be good at all three of them. All right, well, we'll wait and see how these uh, new assistants at USC pan out, but so far it's been looking pretty good. Let's see. Let's go to – we have a voicemail question about fans being able to attend spring football. Yes, this question is for uh, Harvey or Dan Weber. I just wanted to know um, if uh, we'll ever be able to attend practice again. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I want to say this. I, I think they should. I don't know why this uh, is still in place. I don't know if it's an NCAA sanction where they said that the practices would be closed or if it's a USC practice. I really don't understand who has put this in place. Uh, and I can't talk intelligently on it, but I think it should be open. I mean, uh, they don't open it supposedly because they don't want to have agents or people having contact with their players. And I don't see how that makes any difference. If an agent wants to have contact with a player, he isn't going to do it at practice anyway. He's going to do it somewhere else. So what happens, you punish a lot of people, and the excitement of people coming to practice and watching the kids and exciting the kids to practice harder because there's a crowd there because of this rule. So I'm not sure... And, Ryan, I'm going to ask you, is it a school rule, or has it been a part of the sanction portion? Do you know? Yeah, from talking to compliance, essentially, while USC is on probation, uh, this is kind of part of the probationary thing where the fans aren't allowed. It, it's, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. You're, you're talking about a punishment that doesn't really correspond with what's going on. There wasn't a problem with alumni you know, giving $100 handshakes to players at practice, it, but I think the NCAA had a – sense of the openness around Pete Carroll's program was part of the problem, even though this was about an agent, you know, this wasn't about trying to get 
kids into school. This was about an agent trying to get a, a student athlete to leave school early, a hundred miles away from campus, working with his family. So, I mean, it, it, obviously, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and it really is punishing people that enjoyed coming and watching USC football, spring football, fall practice, things like that. Um, so, it's a, I think it's just unjust. But yes, coach, it, it should be over. I think two more years of this, uh, two more years of probation. And that should be over with. So once USC comes off the uh, the sanctions, uh, as far as the scholarship stuff goes, they should be able to go forward. And it'll still be up to the university to allow uh, fans to go into practices like they were before. But technically, the way I understand it, once the probation period ends, they would be allowed to do that. Well, I tell you, uh, just to uh, set the record straight, uh, since it's not a USC thing, I think it's absolutely stupid. And, you know, guys that run the NCAA or Paul D's or whoever put that in there is absolutely ridiculous because you're punishing young kids, people who have young family members who want to come, and these kids set examples for them and so on, and you can't bring them to a Trojan practice. That's absolutely ridiculous. I wonder if Paul D's son, if his son was playing at SCFA to put that sanction in. I mean, it's a stupid, stupid thing because I, it punishes – Kids, first of all, that are at SC now that had nothing to do with any of the sanctions and things that had to do with it. And then also as far as people who want to come and watch USC practice, the kids that live around campus can't get in to watch practice. Uh, I'd give up my spot. I'm telling you, I'd give up my spot because I think it's more important for those kids to get over there and have examples of playing at SC or going to college and so on and yeah, I, I don't know. I, you guys, you, you figure, I better stop now before I no. get myself in trouble. No, it is. It's, I mean, you would see like busfuls of elementary school, school age kids come or a Pop Warner football team come. And those kids got real life experience and, and just enjoyed themselves when they were going down there. Now they don't come to practice anymore. And it's just a shame. And we don't want to j- jump into this NCAA rat hole because we've done it so many times, but it is. You're right. It's terrible. Give coach. me their give me their telephone number right. again, will you? I want to call them again back there. Oh. Uh, here's after an... the show. After the show, give me the phone number. I'd like to call them back there again and just see if those guys ever went to college or ever you know had any experiences they enjoyed there. Or, or I wonder if the can the players use a public restroom? <laughs> huh? I think. They can. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure if they can. It might be off limits. You yeah, know? there's too many rules now. Um, well, let's move on. It's uh, Terry in Los Angeles had an interesting uh, note here. He said, I noticed that Alabama is playing in the Chick-fil-A opener in 2014 and are looking for an opponent for the game. Could uh, He wants one of us to get in Pat Hayden's ear and see if USC could get in that game. It would be great for USC fans, Alabama fans. And college football to have an epic matchup like this to start the season, I'm sure you guys would agree. I think it would absolutely be fantastic. I'd love to see the Pac-12 matchup with the Southeastern Conference. I think it would be great for college football. I think that's what we need in college football, teams like that playing each other across country and so on. I don't know if that could happen because I believe in 2014, I think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 start this goofy thing they're doing where uh, every year they've got to play a non-conference game with a Big Ten Pac-12 member for 
television purposes. I don't like that personally. I don't like that because you could have a rematch in the Rose Bowl or later on in a bowl game. Uh, people, uh, at least the commissioners are excited about it because it all comes down to money again. Everything's money, 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 uh, to, to have that happen. But, uh, I don't know if that'd be a conflict for that or not, but I think that would be an absolute tremendous game. And I'd like to see him play that game. Uh, I don't know where they play the game. You know where they play that I game? Do you know, they I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked into that one, so I'm not really sure. It, it might be Atlanta or something, but I'm, I don't really know. I'm sure they probably have it at Alabama's home stadium <laughs> to make it a neutral site. Yeah. It would probably be something they do because they feel that's neutral. Maybe play it but, at Auburn. That would be neutral. All the Auburn people that, would really get That would be a neutral site. <laughs> Give the Southeastern Conference some more pub. But uh, I think they play great football there, but I want to see them play a non-conference schedule. I want to see them play the same people that SC has to play and others play. I'll tell you, if you had an SC football schedule and you announced to the SC fans, and I mentioned this in my talk last Thursday, and you had James Madison uh, on the schedule, and you had Oral Roberts, and let's see, who's another one that uh, is named after somebody? Uh, SC would go ballistic. The fans would go ballistic. They have too much pride to play those type of teams. Not that the, Don't get me wrong. I have nothing against those guys in those schools. But it's unacceptable at USC to play that type of football schedule. But in the Southeastern Conference, it's an organized plan to play only tough games in conference. Once in a while, they'll play someone out of conference. But until they start playing what everybody, who everybody else is playing out of conference – then I'm, not, I'm going to have a little chip on my shoulder on that. Now, they've won national championships games, don't get me wrong. They have great football teams and so on. But as I said, and I'll keep saying, I would like to have seen Stanford, USC, and Oregon play the three best from the Southeastern Conference on a neutral field last year and see what happens. Uh, all right, well, let's move on, Coach. we got Jeremy. Let's move on, man. I'm rambling today. That's okay. No, no, no. Oregon did play LSU on a neutral field last year and lost. but they, that was, That's all right. Yeah. That's they played, all right. At least they, I'd like, we'd like to see those type of games. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jeremy wants to know, um, with a limited number of backs on this year's roster, might any of the tight ends be useful in an H-back or big-back function? It might be an emergency backup or even a change-of-pace power-back uh, using for that. We saw the New England Patriots do that with uh, Hernandez uh, in the playoffs and stuff last year. Well, I think you're definitely going to see that at USC. You're going to see that. Uh, I think it's the coming thing because it outmatches uh, your receivers are so much bigger than the defensive backs and you're such, you're such great targets. And USC has the type of uh, tight ends that can run and they're big targets. They're great athletes. And I've always said that the most dangerous guy to spread the field is your tight end down the middle of the field and dragging him and crossing routes and so on. Uh, I was hollering about that the whole football season. Find your tight end, find your tight end, get him in the routes in the middle of the field. And that's when Xavier Grimble caught a couple of touchdown passes. Telfer really became dangerous and had great hands. And and I definitely think in this Palme kid, wow, he's going to be a specimen too. Now, Thomas is going to be a special. They've got great tight ends, and Fitzpatrick just came in as a. They'll probably redshirt him because they have too many tight ends. They've got great skilled kids, and I really believe too. They've got to get their players on the field. You've got to have. You can't play with ten 
Ryan. You can't play with 10. And I think sometimes they play with 10 on offense when they dictate their fullback to set the formations and do different things with him. He doesn't run with the football, and he's not a primary receiver. And I think you've got to be able to set the defenses to fear every single person who's an offensive weapon. Because SC has that type of talent. And uh, I would like to see that happen at that H-back or the fullback position. Even George Farmer could play that position. Can you imagine what he would do down the seams and and some types of uh, counters and things that he could run the ball back opposite the flow? It's unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I, I would love to see that, and I think it should happen, and I think it will happen. And a follow-up to that, we have a question from uh, Ron. He said he's hearing about Buck Allen lately. Could he be one of the sleepers for the upcoming season? I hear he's a beast in the weight room. And uh, with only three tailbacks on scholarship, Coach, and Buck Allen's one of them, we haven't seen a whole lot out of. We don't really know much about him. I know Dan Weber's been trying to get an interview. We did a story on him over the weekend, but we've been trying to catch up with him for quite a while. Uh, I mean, he's he's going to have to contribute somehow. I mean, there's just not enough tailbacks on the roster. Well, yeah, you have to depend on him, and the kid's got to see what his role is going to be. And he, I think he should be told what's he going to play so he can mentally get ready for that. Is he a fullback or is he going to be a tailback? You've got to prepare a kid. You can't move a kid around, especially when he's a young kid. You've got to give him his role and what he's have to – you know, what weight he should be at and what playbook he should look at or with the plays under certain things so that he can be a con- contributing to the offensive output. Myself, I would play him at tailback. I, I would give him that choice or that opportunity to be the big back. Uh, I think SC does have some great backs and DJ Morgan and also, and I don't know if you had a chance to see what the results of the football relay team did this past weekend in the Claremont relays. But they ran 41.6, 41.6, I think it was. And uh, and uh, the regular relay team ran 40.06. And, of course, they didn't have George Farmer on that team either. So they've got speed and, and, and stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I just uh, – I think Allen – the guy that's going to solve that problem. Now, I'm going to tell you, he, ran, he was a back most of his high school careers – Nelson Akubar. Uh, I mean, this guy's the closest thing. I keep saying this to DeAnthony Thomas that I've seen as far as coming in, and he's a big DeAnthony Thomas, six one, hundred and eighty pounds, and so on. He's got great team speed. He's got great moves. I mean, let's remember uh, this kid could be a superstar, uh, and uh, I'd hate to see him be used as Carlisle was used last year, unless you really need him, but you need these type of kids to be around the following three years. But he's a great player. So, Alan, I'd give him a shot at getting it done. I'd tell him he has to get it done, and you can play. And uh, Nelson and some of these other players, I'd, I'd hope to be able to redshirt him because down the line you're going to have to do that. All right. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar you're talking about. They, they just put a video of him. Ducking over another player, it's been on YouTube and stuff. We posted on peristylepodcast.com. It was kind of fun to see. And there, there's definitely some rumblings that he's going to be starting off a tailback. So we'll see what happens there. Um, certainly they need some help. And we'll watch for Buck Allen this spring. And we'll be able to report uh, next week on what, what he's been doing. I'm sure it'll be a Buck Allen watch each and every week uh, since he's been a hard guy to, to get a hold of. And I guess, Coach, before we let you go, uh, Nick Perry uh, you know, made some money this morning, Monday morning at the Combine. He 
ran a, a four five forty, pretty amazing for a two hundred seventy one pound dude. And uh, Matt Khalil tested real well. He he, the offensive line went a few days ago. Uh, not not as great of a workout for Mark Tyler, but USC does have their pro day coming up on March seventh, so we'll be down there covering all of that. Uh, maybe get your thoughts on what you saw so far from some of the USC players or, or even Pac-12 players in the NFL Combine. Well, uh, I think that there are some players that really look good from the Pac-12. Uh, I agree 100%. I think Khalil had a good workout. Uh, uh, I think he ran b- well for a big man. I think he had the second fastest time, I believe, in the 40. Yeah, I think he got like a 4.96 or something. I don't, that was unofficial, though. I don't know if they changed his official, but uh, there wasn't that many sub-five offensive that's line fast. yeah that is fast for a guy that big that is really fast uh, castro uh did a great job from stanford he's a good player uh, the strongest guy in the combine as far as bench presses was polk i believe his name from michigan the center uh khalil i think what did he get 30 31 i think he did as far as two, yeah. uh, 225 he did pretty good yeah yeah he did that uh tyler uh didn't run a good 40 time uh, but uh, Nick Perry know, ran faster than Mark Tyler, so maybe Nick Perry could have been that fullback getting uh, getting some right. carries. Right, I think Tyler ran four seven or something like that, and uh, that's not really blazing, but he's a bigger back. I think for Mike uh, James uh, from uh, Oregon, I thought he had a great combine. I, I really like that kid. I tell you, he's really a great player. I know they're talking about other backs too. But uh, I, boy, I'd love to have him be on my team. He, he ran four three something, four three six, I think, uh, which was just burning. He was the fastest back they had down there in the combine. And if Nick Perry ran four five today, I haven't watched it this morning. But if he ran four five at his size, wow! I'm telling you, I never knew he had that type of speed. Yeah, pretty impressive. So we'll see. I mean, those are the two, the two big names, the juniors that came out early. Everyone expected to go. Early in the draft, I mean, Khalil going a little bit higher. You know, Nick Perry probably played himself, making sure it's in the first round. Some people were questioning that. So we'll see what – it's going to be all the other guys, the uh, the Chris Gallipos and Mark Tylers, and see where some of those guys go in the draft. We'll see. I mean, the, the pro day will be fun, though, to watch. I don't know if you're going to be able to go down there, Coach, but it's usually a an interesting day out there on Cromwell Field, checking out what all these guys are doing, running through all the drills. And, uh, you know, no quarterbacks like we'd see like Mark Sanchez throwing the football around or some of those guys. I remember the linebackers when Ray Maluga and Clay Matthews and, all you know, uh, all those guys were, were down there all at once, Brian Cushing. And um, so sometimes it's really interesting. This 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 time the pro day is going to be more about Khalil and Perry. I think you're right. Uh, you know, uh, also Glippo wasn't invited to the combine. And that sort of shocked me. It, it really did. Uh, Oh, I thought but, he was. Uh, I thought he got a late invite. Did he get a late, late, late I th- invite? I thought so. Yeah, when we were talking, and uh, Red Ellison was down there too. Um, I I believe maybe that changed, but wouldn't I know? I he tweeted. I tweeted him a few weeks ago, and he said he was invited to the combine. So unless that changed or something happened, he should be down there. Well, that's great. And Ellison, they worked him out as a running back. Did you notice that? Yeah, because of the. Uh, I I thought it'd be better for him to to work out as a as a as a tight end, but he went with like the fullbacks there. Yeah, he did. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure why they did that, but uh, there's, there's got to be a, pers- a purpose for it. So, uh, 
you know, it, it's good to watch. Uh, you can only watch so much of it. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> after a while, it, you sort of get dizzy, you know. The Underwear so, Olympics, as I like to call it, is pretty <laughs> – all these guys yeah. running around in their underwear doing things. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's it's good. And I'll flip it back on here and see what's happening today. But, Ryan, I really appreciate you uh, checking in. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, we thank you for all your questions. And uh, what I what can I say? Spring practice is uh, a week away, and uh, I wish people out there could get over and watch it. We talked about that earlier because I'll be over there, and I know Ryan, you'll be there too. For sure, coach. And as always, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks everyone for listening. We're going to be back. In 30 seconds, talking with Gerard Martinez about USC football recruiting. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Gerard Martinez on the line right now, uscfootball.com. National recruiting analyst knows all things about USC football recruiting. Hey, Gerard, how you doing, man? What's up? I'm doing good. Uh, doing a little work, enjoying the NFL Combine, which is always an interesting thing to watch uh, from an evaluation standpoint. You know, always kind of watch the guys going from college to the NFL. And, you know, I kind of wish uh, we had a combine uh, nationally that, that would do some of these similar things, you know, watching these guys individually doing individual drills and not necessarily doing a lot of one-on-ones. You know, we always go to combines and camps and complain, looking for one-on-ones. We want to see the competition. But, you know, on the other side, it's nice to be able to look at one player at a time and be able to really look at his strengths and weaknesses and you don't have to necessarily gauge the competition he's going against. And so, you know, that's why the NFL does it, and that's why they strip it down to, you know, single individual drills and, and not really anything going in top, competition-wise one-on-one. Uh, I think uh might not be a bad thing for uh, maybe some, some high school football camps or combines to, to do a similar type of format. But um, other than that, you know, just hanging through, ready for spring football. Yeah, that's a That's a great point, and I thought, that like when we would go to the Nike camps and we cover these high school players, we'll, we, you know, we'll start doing it now and it's going to go through the summer up until their senior year. You see a lot of these high school players, the top players ranked in the country going to different camps and combines and things like that. We cover them and, and do whatever we can. I seem to remember there used to be some stuff in there where they would run the 40 and they would do certain like spark drills and things like that. Was there an NCAA rule or something that says that's not allowed anymore? Do you remember anything like that? Yes. Yeah, there was an NCAA rule that forbid any testing on the campus of a college. So all camps that were held on college campuses could no longer have any testing. And that was with the Nike camp. Nike camp has to usually be a the first morning half of the camp itself was testing. So you would have 40s and you would vert and you would have bench press, and then we'd get to the football part in the second half. And nowadays the Nike camps are basically just football. You still have spark drills and you still have some things as, as far as footwork goes. Um, and then they get into some individual team and uh, kind of like 
positional test or not testing, but um, instruction. Nike camp is more about instruction. It's not necessarily so much a combine, especially now that they've stripped it from its combine aspects. But that was uh, yeah, an NCAA rule that, that came through uh, uh, right after, I think, the rule that the college coaches couldn't actually watch those camps anymore. So, um yeah, <laughs> they've become uh, uh, more and more limited, uh, you know, over the years. And you know, I, I think the Army All-American um, underclassman combine would be a great opportunity to do more of an NFL combine type format, um, just because you already have the combine aspects of it and testing. But you know, one thing that it's 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 good and it's bad. It's cool to watch guys go one on one against each other, um, and and be able to you know there's there's some competition there and you get to see some football to a small extent but at the same time just thinking about it yesterday watching the nfl combine it would be good because it you don't know much about these kids at that point it's very early in the process they're just to be juniors and you're watching a kid that you hear is going to be pretty good against another kid that you hear is going to be pretty good but it's really tough to gauge you know what what how good they really are against each other. And if one receiver dominates, you know, the defensive backs and well, it just turned out to be a bad defensive back year. I think that's why the NFL does it the way it does. It's trying to take away that, uh, that, that, that you know, who's really good competition head to head and just focusing solely on the skills of an individual player, you know, a receiver running specific routes, doing the, uh, you know, the, the gauntlet drill with the balls running, you know, in a straight line, um, you know, some of those things with the running backs, you know, hitting the bag and, and they're cutting drills and stuff like that. And you're really just focusing in individually on one player's skill. And I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that format, but you know, things are done the way they're done and we'll see if that ever changes. But uh, it's that time of year where, you know, the evaluation process, even for uh, high school football players is going to be coming up here in mid April. So uh, everything uh, coming around quick this year, you know, we got spring ball and bam, we're right into May evaluations. Yeah. For, uh, spring ball coming up and uh, a little over a week away, which is kind of crazy a week from tomorrow. Uh, actually, you know, today being Monday tomorrow, uh, we'll, you know, tomorrow will be the week away from spring football. It'll be fun. We'll see you out there seeing some of the new players. I guess we'll see a few new faces, Gerard. I mean, that's where the recruiting and the team stuff kind of uh, overlaps a little bit, where we get to see a, a few new faces. And even a guy like Josh Shaw, who I know you covered during the recruiting process, I think it's going to be fun to see him out there as well. Interesting to see uh, Josh Shaw's smiling face in uh, number 26. Uh, saw the photos uh, from the winter workouts uh, just the other week. And, yeah, he's uh, – Definitely excited to be at USC, and he's a guy that, um, you know, can kind of jump around and, and play, you know, maybe a little safety, a little cornerback. He's been playing mostly cornerback uh, recently, so uh, we'll see if, you know, when the pads go on and and uh, the the football aspect of it you know, gets taken up a notch if he's going to be able to still play corner or he's going to be a little more of a safety. But, uh, you know, Scott Starr's there, and Chad Wheeler's a kid that's uh, very intriguing. I mean, that's kind of the wild card a little bit of, that offensive line class, you know, Chad Wheeler ends up, you know, building up and bulking up into being uh, a guy like uh, Jacob Rogers, which is everybody, you know, kind of at USC's crossing their fingers that he has that ability. Then, you know, that offensive line class becomes that much better. All of a sudden uh, you go from, you know, maybe some disappointed Trojan fans uh, that lost out on Andres Pete and Kyle Murphy on signing day. And all of a sudden they kind of forget about those two guys. So, um, you know, it's, it's a chance just to see some of these guys develop. And we're going to see Scott Starr play a little bit of middle linebacker, which I know a lot of people are excited to play. So as far as the new players go, there's definitely some intrigue. It's not going to be the, 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 
the kind of the big, uh, you know, they had a little bigger class last year with early enrollees coming in. But I think as far as quality, as far as the quality of talent of guys that are going to be kind of interjected into this uh, spring football period, it's going to be maybe a little better. I think you've got some maybe some better players here from, um, you know, the skill standpoints or, or just all around. Yeah, and uh, I mean, last year was fun because you got a couple of quarterbacks and they got to battle it out a little bit. So that that made it kind of unique. But I, I do think the Josh Shaw thing is really interesting because he is a big corner and it's it's a very different kind of person. We talked to Robert Woods uh, about it a little bit. He said, you know, Roby's more of a, you know, he's obviously a great corner. He, he's kind of a, you know, get in your face and, and be annoying and, and be able to run with you and run you down. And Josh Shaw is like a guy that comes right up to the line and, you know, can push you around. And he says he can still run with you, too, but he's definitely more, you know, obviously he's a bigger dude. He can be a little bit more physical. So, uh, I'm, you know, I'm curious to see what Monty Kiffin does and, and, you know, with him, if he's able to get cleared and go through. But should be a really interesting mix, just because he's kind of a different corner than, than what they have right now. He is a little different. And the funny thing about him is that his knock coming out of the SEC at Florida was that he wasn't very physical as a safety so it's one of those things where, you know, you put a guy out there as a safety and maybe he's more of a coverage guy, uh, but then you put him at cornerback and all of a sudden becomes physical. So it's just the difference between the two positions and, and kind of, uh, you know, how his profile fits into those two positions being a guy that's, you know, probably about six one, almost 200 pounds. So, yeah, we'll see, you know, how, how he develops and, and the competition there that, that grows. I mean, you've got Isaiah Wiley on the other side. You've got Tony Burnett still. Um, you've got some guys who have some size, and so um, it's not going to be necessarily a clear path to him uh, being able to contribute, you know, as, as immediately after he's cleared. But uh, definitely, I, I think you know he he feels like it's a it's a sense of you know being able to come in and and start fresh again and, and new slate. And we got to remember this is a guy that played for Florida and he started for Florida several games last year, so it's not a guy that was buried on the depth chart and, and couldn't play or, or had any kind of issues at Florida, you know, you have a lot of guys who transfer um, and, and they come in with baggage and Josh Hall doesn't come in with any baggage. So I think that's really a, a positive. And I think the biggest positive just talking to him when he actually officially transferred to USC was just, you know, he's going to keep his head down. He's going to keep his mouth shut and he's going to work hard. And those were his years. Those were his words kind of verbatim. Uh, exactly. And that, you know, that attitude is, is only going to serve him well uh, with his teammates and the chemistry on the team. And USC has really good chemistry right now. I mean, it's a good, good group. And those meeting rooms are good. It's healthy. The competition is good. You don't have a lot of complaining. You don't have a lot of egos that are battling each other. And I think um, I think that might be the most important thing if they're really going to be able to contend for a national championship. It's a long road, and you've got to have guys that really like playing with each other and enjoy pushing each other, but don't necessarily get disgruntled in the process because maybe they don't play enough. So, you know, like you said, we're, we're going to see kind of how it all how it all pans out with all these guys and and how they're able to contribute. But I think overall, you know, when you've got guys like Robert Woods and Nikel Roby and Marquise Lee and and good hard workers at the top of your depth charts, um, it kind of trickles down and everybody else kind of falls in line. And I think that's going to be the thing that uh, overridingly is going to be able to help USC this season. Yeah, and I think you make some good points there. What are the most important ones? And I'm curious to see if this happened. There is great chemistry. This team had a reason to bond the last couple of years because it was kind of like an us-against-the-world mentality. There was no bowl game to go to. 
It really was. You just had your you and your teammates and your coaches, and that was it. You're kind of rallying around, circling the wagons there. Well, now there's things are opening up more. Uh, there there's, aren't the the limitations that this team had the past couple of years. They're set. I mean, if something happens and they lose a game like they lost the Arizona State game last year, I think there was a it was easier to recover. And obviously, the team wasn't playing as well early in the season as they were later on. They got better and better. I think each and every week. But now you lose an early game and, and you have expectations like going to the Rose Bowl or going to a national championship game. How do they react? Does that chemistry stay intact? I mean, I think it's important that it's been good that they've had it the last couple of years. But now the game's changed because you have uh, there's a higher ceiling now. Will things fall apart if you, you play bad in a game and lose a game early? Well, I'll actually disagree only because that argument was given for why they would fall apart after they lost a game early in the season last year and the year before as well. I mean, they come in and people would say, well, you know, if they lose a game, then they've got nothing to play for. You know, their, their whole thing is going out there and showing the NCAA that they can go undefeated, blah, blah, blah. So it's always something. There's always a reason why the team will fall apart in the middle of the season or fold up kind of like Arizona state did at the end of the season, because they don't have this or that to play for. I think at the end of the day, it really depends on the team and the personality of the team and the people on the team. And I think they recover because those players uh, want to recover, because they're leaders and because the coaches um, really have given them a philosophy and something to buy into. And Lane Kiffin gave them, you know, we're, we're going to play because it is us against the world type mentality, and that's motivating us, and they bought into that. And I think now he understands that now they have to buy into, hey, this is our chance to actually show that we're back and that we get to the Rose Bowl, or that we can get to a major bowl game. And these guys, for them, it's new. It's a new process, and I think they're excited about that, not having a ceiling, not having their season end, you know, after the last game uh, against UCLA. So, or Notre Dame, or whoever they're playing. Who are they playing? Who's the last game this year? It's, it's Notre Dame, isn't it? I believe it's Notre Dame, yes. Yeah, so it's Notre Dame this year. Um, sometimes they sneak Arizona in there. I haven't looked at the schedule yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I mean, so now after that last regular season game, there's more to be, you know, in front of them. And I think, you know, that last stretch we saw last year, they played so well. A lot of people before the season probably would have said, after they lost to Stanford in such a heartbreaking manner, they're done. They're going to pack it up. Season's over. They've lost two games. You know, there's no debate as to who's going to be Pac-10 Conference champions, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this year they got to just keep playing. You know, and you never know what's going to happen. You just have to keep playing. And, and as far as, you know, on paper, I think that that actually gives them more incentive to, to stay together as a team and really try to see this thing through because this time they can. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think also with the Pac-12 championship game, being able to go to that, even if you lose to both you know, Oregon and Stanford, I mean, you still could go to the Pac-12 championship game and, and get a second shot at one of those teams. So, Shoot, even if you could lose to a million teams like UCLA did, you could end yeah. up in it. <laughs> yeah, well, th- you have to hope that someone else is on probation. <laughs> but, that's, but that's the Pac-12 sometimes. That's football. You know, you, yeah. a lot of teams end up uh, losing games that uh, they weren't supposed to lose and you know, that thing kind of plays itself out a little bit, just kind of like the national championship game. You know, everybody's got Oklahoma State or they've got, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the South Carolina or whoever it is, you know, that's undefeated, TCU, Boise State, and then at the end of the year, you know, Oregon and everybody else starts losing games, and, and all of a sudden now you've got a rematch of the SEC game, and people are going, oh, this is, this is we don't want to see this again. And so, you know, that you just never know what's going to happen, and I think, you know, that's, that's something that this coaching staff is going to – 
reiterate, you know, throughout the year, regardless if, if you drop a game, you drop two games, you drop three games. You, you now can effectively kind of play your way in uh, to, to that Rose Bowl because you can get into that uh, conference championship game, and I think that's uh, a big deal. All right. Uh, well, let's get to a couple of questions, Gerard. We have an interesting ethical question from Melvin. Uh, I love the ethical recruiting question since there's <laughs> seems to be a lot of non-ethical things going on. But he said he noticed that Coach Barry and Coach Gilmore didn't announce that they were leaving USC until after signing day. And his question is, is it ethical to lead a high school kid, not an adult, to believe you will be his coach, teacher, slash mentor leader at USC and merely use that crew... I'm sorry, he said, and then merely use that to recruit him and then leave after signing day. He said the Cal coaches left before signing day and everyone saw what happened with their class. It kind of fell apart. Where, where do you fall on this? If a coach is going to leave, do you think it should be before or after signing day? I think it really falls more on the recruits nowadays and they just have to understand that coaches come and go. Um, I, I think, you know, because it, it works on both sides. You know, you've got the fans that are upset when the coaches leave right before signing day and you can look at the ethics on that you know this is a a person that's recruited for that university for years and right before signing day right before they bring all these kids together all of a sudden they've turned around and now they're recruiting against that school and they're stealing recruits away from that school that they were at Um, in the case of you know Tosh LePoy leaving Cal and going to Washington so then you could you could debate the ethics there. You know, well, that's not very ethical. You've worked with these people and you've 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 built relationships and trust and used that with a university emblem. And then all of a sudden now you you're you're the enemy. Now you've changed and you're at a rival school uh, recruiting against uh, the guys that uh, you know kind of gave you that opportunity. So I think it really falls more on the recruits nowadays just to be educated and to be under the assumption that these coaches may not be with you for the entire four years uh, that you're going to a college. And you need to look at that university as more than just a coach or more than just a group of coaches. You need to look at it for its education. You need to look at it for its location, uh, the environment that's provided there, um, and and really just, you know, traditionally kind of uh, the things that that university has to offer, whether it be winning or just be, you know, a program that's solid in terms of athletics. You, know, you look at USC, and obviously USC's had success over a number of years and decades of football. So, you know, USC sells that. USC sells a brand. It's not so much just about Lane Kiffin. It's not so much just about uh, one particular assistant coach, uh, Joe Barry or, or Ted Gilmore, uh, as good as those guys may have been as coaches, um, regardless of what they may have said or did not say, on the recruiting trail, at the end of the day, USC has to sell that brand and what it's about in a long-term process. Because, you know, if you go in and you're recruited and you feel comfortable with that brand, then you feel comfortable with what the likely future of that program is. If it's Ohio State and maybe they're winning and then they get a new coach, well, you could probably bet that new coach is going to be pretty good, or at least he's going to be good from a resume standpoint. They're not going to go out and hire a hack. It just doesn't happen. So you're looking at these, you know, these universities, and, and if you're, you're, you're confident enough in kind of the brand and what that university does from a long-term standpoint, and I think that's really what you're buying into. You can't just think, okay, this coach is a great coach. I have a great relationship with him. If he's really a great coach, then he's going to have an opportunity to go to the NFL, and then that's basically all bets are off because the money that's there, the opportunity that's there, you know, things can change. So I think, you know, you really, again, if it's, if it's a program 
that's kind of uh, teeter-tottering as far as it's really a program that's solid in football all around. I'll use Cal as an example. If all of a sudden there's questions about uh, Jeff Tedford, you know, maybe he's going to leave the NFL, then the recruit has to look at what is Cal's what is their 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 lineage for hiring good head coaches? You know, is this a program that didn't win for 30 years before Jeff Tedford got there? Is this a program that was, you know, down in the dumps and, and, and for coaches year in and year in and year out, and they kind of struck gold with, with Jeff Tedford? Uh, then, then you have to start to look at that. Or is this a program that's put together great coaches year in and year out, and Jeff Tedford is just another one of those coaches in that line? Then you feel pretty comfortable that, yeah, you know what, the next head coach, yeah, you know, he's probably going to be pretty good. You know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. You can never guarantee. Obviously, look at Notre Dame. That's a program with a lot of prestige and a lot of tradition, and they've struck out time and time again with head coaches. So you never know for sure, but you know at least the program is going to go out there. They're going to try to hire the best guy they can, and they're going to have a good list of candidates. So you start have to look, kind of look at those other things like academics and location, environment, and, and just that, you know, the, the school itself and, and what it brings to the table. You know, the, the the interesting thing, and you would talk about the ethics of assistant coaches, the problem is, I mean, you're talking about a head coach. I think you can help hold them more accountable. I mean, they're a fairly stable position. Obviously, you can lose and, uh, you know, be fired and things like that, move on to bigger and better things. But when you're talking about assistant coaches, there's a pretty wide range of what these assistant coaches are making and how stable their positions are. I mean, you have five-figure assistant coaches, six-figure and seven-figure assistant coaches. So... If you're, you know, like the the Tosh Lapoy kind of thing, where if he wasn't making that much money and has an opportunity to jump ship and make a lot more, you can't really fault the guy. But you know, like you mentioned too, at the timing of it's weird. And you know, does the the original school did Cal have to step up and and pay him more money? Was that going to work? Uh, but it's it's there's ethics involved, and I think it's a great question, Melvin. But you can't fault someone for bettering. You know their livelihood. I mean, that's how they they're making a living, especially here in Los Angeles. When you have an assistant coach, if it's a big difference if you're making, you know, sixty five thousand dollars a year and you got a family of four and you're trying to get a house somewhere, you know, or you're you know making half a million dollars. It's it's a pretty big difference. So I don't think you can fault someone for moving on for more money or or upward mobility or in the case of like Joe Barry and Ted Gilmore, if they're going to the NFL, you're jumping to a bigger league. I mean, there's a lot of reasons these assistant coaches move around. You want to try to keep them around as long as you can, but they have to take care of themselves as well. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. There's, there's a lot of uh, movement and, and guys are trying to climb that ladder and, and trying to get a position ahead. And, you know, those titles are thrown around a lot and Hey, you can be an assistant head coach here, or you can be a defensive coordinator here. And those things are, are kind of a big deal um, with, with coaches as well. So it, it's a lot more fluid. And I, I think, again, as far as ethics go, I think it's uh, if there's any obligation, it's definitely to the recruits and their families to know about these schools and know more about them than just you know what a coach sits down and tells them. I mean, do your own research. It's on you. This is your decision, and it's the next four years of your life, and so you have to take uh, you you have to take some responsibility with that and become empowered and go out and really do the research. And you know, if somebody sits there and tells you, well, we got to graduate uh, a graduation rate of such and such. You need to go back on the Internet and you need to find that information because guess what? Everybody's going to have a nice statistical number that puts them number one at whatever category you're looking at. Whatever emphasis you have in a college, um, you know, whether it be like a business school or you want to go for, for pharmacy school later on in life, every 
college that you go to is going to have some great statistics showing how great their school is. And so you, you have to take all those things and, and kind of do, do some research on your own and, and, kind of get some confidence about the decision you're making on your own. It's like buying a car, buying a house, doing any of these major purchases. Well, this is something that you're buying into that's going to change the rest of your life. So, you know, ethics, when it comes to that, I just, I don't think ethics really plays into, it didn't come into play anymore. I mean, it, it's like, you know, the whole thing about being committed and then, you know, turning <laughs> around and, and going with another school on signing day. Uh, you know, Pio Vatuve, you know, was that ethically sound yeah. for him to be committed to USC all that time and then all of a sudden turn around and go to Washington. I don't know if ethics really comes into play. I mean, if he just didn't feel like SC was a school for him, then he wasn't, it wasn't a school for him. And so it, it goes on both sides of the coin. You know, you have coaches that are there, then leave after signing day. They're there. They leave right before signing day. And you have kids that are there. And we've, you know, being at USCfootball.com covering the recruiting process, we've also seen kids sign with USC and not end up with USC, right. a la Chantrell Henderson. So, I mean, you know, it's 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 all relative, I guess. Ah, great points there. Uh, let's see, we have one last question, and it's kind of interesting. He said, Gerard, you talked about having a plan A and plan B in the recruiting game. First, is Kenny Bigelow a plan A type of player? And then, if so, who would be plan B? Was Ellis McCarthy plan A with no real plan B? Does that mean like an Aziz Shitu of Stanford was not a plan A type of player? How do you uh, evaluate those guys? Yes, exactly. I, I think, uh, you know, with Ellis McCarthy, he was a plan A because of his talent and also because, you know, he was kind of the guy out there separating himself at the defensive tackle position last year. There was really not a guy that was, you know, that, that second defensive tackle that there was really no plan B last year because of that. I mean, that was really more of, you know, kind of the, the point of, of recruiting him. And, and when we talked about him during the process, you know, there wasn't the next best guy that was really right next to him. And, you know, some years you're going to have a plan A and you're going to have a plan 1A and plan 2A uh, because it's that deep of year or there are that many good players on the board. Last year was simply not that year. So plan B was pretty far down the rung, and, and USC really had to kind of scramble a little bit and ended up not signing a defensive tackle. I think with this year, Kenny Bigelow is definitely plan A. I mean, he's plan A because they've already got him committed, and he's one of the top uh, defensive tackles slash defensive ends in the country. So uh, he's certainly plan A, and they've got him all wrapped up. We'll see how it all plays out because he's an out-of-state guy, and that's going to take some time just to understand you know, what, uh, what other schools come in on him and, and how much interest he has in those other schools. You know, I know Alabama is going to be after him. Florida is going to be after him. There's going to be a lot of schools east of the Macy-Dixie line that is going, they're going to be on him hard. And that's, you know, we'll see what happens. Again, process changes. Guys are committed. You know, at this point, commitments anymore. I, I think at this point in the year, you can just say, well, that school leads. <laughs> so at this point, USC leads and Kenny Bigelow is plan A for USC. Is there a plan B that, or, or a plan in 1A that's you know right next to him? I don't see a guy right now because I don't see anybody in state that really blows me away and is you know as good as Kenny Bigelow. Um, you know, you have Eddie Vanderdose, who's you know top guy. He's got uh, quite a few offers. Went to USC's junior day. Um, you know, he's in that six three, six four range, about 280 pounds. 
but certainly not at the level of Kenny Bigelow, and USC has not offered him a scholarship yet, and I think that's kind of telling. If he was around Bigelow's uh, ability, I think he'd have a scholarship already too, and, and USC would probably want to bring in two defensive tackles in this class. So, you know, that next defensive tackle offer in state is probably going to be plan B at this point. Um, you know, the plan 1A, they've offered quite a few kids from back east. They've offered some kids um, that, that, you know, the Georgia and, and the Florida type kids, I mean, they've got four uh, scholarship offers out to Florida kids right now. The one guy who's probably intriguing of that group is Derek Callaway. Derek Callaway is a 6'1", 300-pound uh, defensive tackle from Braden, Florida. He uh, plays at Manatee High School, which is West Florida. It's, it's kind of in that Tampa, St. Petersburg uh, area. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be a Monty Kiffin, Lane Kiffin type deal. The interesting thing about Callaway is that he's originally from California, and he actually went to Narbonne High School as a freshman. So, you know, he's, he's got his father still out here. He lives out in Florida with his mother, but uh, has some ties out here. So distance may not be the factor it is with other recruits. And obviously being from Southern California originally, you know, he can acclimate a lot easier. A lot of times what you have with, uh, you know, defensive linemen and even offensive linemen from the South, they just have a hard time acclimating to Southern California. They're, they're, they tend to be kids that are from the rural areas, and they just they just not with the pace of life and, and the way things are out here, and it's, it's harder to recruit them and get them away from home. I think with Callaway, that's not going to be an issue at all. It's just going to be you know one of those things trying to get him comfortable with the program and, and recruiting him hard and, and you know having to make that travel for the coaches for for evaluations and kind of you know showing hey you know we really like you we really want you sometimes that's a little harder to do because he's so far away from or so far away from uh, the University of Southern California campus um, you know the coaches can pop in for local kids you know every weekend basically and check them out or or whatever and, and just you know stay very visible in the kids recruitment you're not going to get that with Derek Calloway but that's the one kid that at this point you know, that, that has a scholarship offer that does have some ties to Southern California. And so it, it may be kind of interesting to see what happens with him. But, you know, the other guys are just kind of guys out there right now, haven't really sorted through. You know, there's a couple of guys that are already committed to other schools like Florida State and, and Miami and Georgia. So, you know, it's, it's really going to be one of those things where the process plays itself out. And we'll see if there's a guy that actually comes out and ends up being, you know, that, that definite – you know, 1A type guy, because it also has to do with who USC is capable of really signing and really getting committed. You know, you can't slap a 1A on uh, another guy that's just going to be a complete long shot. You know, there's always going to be another great player out there, but, you know, Eddie Goldman uh, was, was another five-star defensive tackle. USC just wasn't in it with him. They just didn't have any possibilities of signing him. So while you could say, well, hey, there's another guy that's just as good out there as Ellis McCarthy or blah, blah, blah. USC is not in that player's, you know, top 50, let alone, you know, top five or top three <laughs> that they're able to be able to kind of commit. And so, you know, that, that also plays into, you know, who's a plan A and plan B. All right. Well, Gerard, we appreciate you coming on as always. Always fun to talk USC recruiting. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you again next week, see what's going on. Yep, yep. As we get into uh, spring football, there'll be a little bit, you know, recruiting will pick up a little bit, but uh, definitely going to be on the backside of uh, spring football when everything will start uh, really happening. And, and you'll see that kind of the, the, the plan and the strategy for uh, USC football in 2013 start to take shape. Sounds great. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. Always love your insights and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you again next week. You've 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.